Colin, mate. This is, uh, this is Colin Barnes, who's going to speak to us today. He is, I know uh, from personal experience, a pioneer. Uh, he's a spiritual pioneer. He's also, a, there is a sense of pioneering as being a, a physical activity as well. And I have raced around the high Himalaya with this man who walks much too fast uh, on several occasions. So I commend to you a real pioneer. So, Father, we just, we just pray for Colin now as, as he brings his message uh, to you, you people. And uh, I just pray that uh, what he says will be what you want to say uh, and that we as a group of people hear what you want to say to us, Father. Boundless grace I want to talk about. And you've already read the scripture out. You read it out. Or did it... Was there a prayer based around it? It was a prayer based around it, which was great. I loved it. But the, the scripture that we are basing this morning's thoughts on is Ephesians chapter 1, sorry, chapter 2, verse 1 to 10. Uh, and uh, I won't read it for the sake of brevity, but it talks about us being raised up with Christ. It talks about us being seated with Christ in heavenly places. It talks about us being made alive with Christ. And that's just what I want to briefly touch on. Before I do, though, it does say some difficult things. It talks about before we were dead in our offences and sins, (laughs) when we previously walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit which now working in the sons of disobedience. We were, it says, by nature, uh, children of wrath. And if we're not careful, I, I, I appeal to you. Oh, for, oh, should, I should have asked that question. Do you want good news or bad news? Well, I'm giving you the bad news. So it's, uh, the bad news could be we get the wrong end of the stick when we hear a phrase like that because we're so indoctrinated by our culture. We're so uh, steeped in a culture. Some things come to mind when we hear that phrase or when we read that phrase. And I love to ask questions, and I love to get people to rethink through what they think they know. So what does it mean when it talks about children of wrath? What is the Bible saying when it says we were children of wrath? There's silence, you know. Does that mean we were miserable sinners that God was angry with us, wanting to smite us? Is that what it means, that God was angry with us? No, it doesn't mean that. It can't mean that because the passage says the opposite. It says because of the great love with which he loved us while we were dead. So it doesn't mean that. What does it mean? It just, it just means something completely different. It means that, yeah, we make bad choices. We get caught up in the things of the world. We think that we can put things right through controlling other people. And we try and do all kinds of things which are not helpful. In fact, they lead to just frustration. They lead to anger. So sons of wrath are basically people that grow up to be like their parents. They just produce more wrath, more anger. We anger ourselves. We get frustrated when things don't work out the way we hope. We anger others when we hurt them. And so, uh, yes, that is what happens. You just have to look at Twitter. Twitter is a terrible place at times. You know, I love it sometimes, but it's just full of anger. So many people think they can just vent on Twitter. It used to be just the car you could do that in, as you got frustrated with the slow person or the person tailgating you. you know, uh, but now it feels like we can do it online as well. People are just venting anger. 
there's so much frustration because life is tough. There is so much frustration. People are generally frustrated because life is not going the way they want. And it comes out, it spills out, it bursts out. We were like that, weren't we? I was like that. That's what happens. That's what, when, we don't, when we're not living in Christ. Of course, God does get angry, but it's not at us, it's for us. The wrath of God is stirred up by lives being wrecked, by seeing his children in pain and suffering and chasing, running down dead ends and hurting one another. That's what upsets God when we talk unkindly to one another. That's what, upsets, that's what it says in Ephesians chapter 4, when we are not tender-hearted towards one another. That's what grieves the Holy Spirit. But Jesus died, I won't talk about that because Paul talked about it last week, but Jesus died to appease the anger of God. Because in doing so, he put everything right. He solved the problem. He broke the chains. He broke the hold of sin and the fear of death off us. We are free because of what Jesus did, the way he lived, the way he lived, the way he confronted his enemies. If we follow him, we're free. It's fantastic. God knew that was enough to set humanity free. Not all at once, everybody, 100% all at once, but bit by bit, bit by bit, until the kingdom fills the whole planet. The picture of Christ is the compelling one. It was enough to fix all that was wrong with creation. Anyway, that was enough of the bad news. It talks about, in that passage, doesn't it, about the riches of his grace. God being rich in mercy because of his great love of which he loved us, even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved and raised us up together with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the boundless riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Boundless riches. Boundless riches. It's a hyper word. Hyperballo. Boundless. Any bound you can think of, it goes beyond. The trouble is, our bounds for grace are so tiny. We think if we step a little bit over, we're going to get into licentiousness. But God's grace is boundless. It even reaches us. You know, that's amazing. Have you seen who he hangs out with? I love that Gobby Bertle song. He even hangs out with me. God's grace is boundless towards you. It's immeasurable, it's exceeding, it's surpassing, it's incomparable. There is nothing that can compare to it. No grace compares to the riches of his grace toward you, his favour toward you. If only I could help us all glimpse a bit more of that this morning, I could do a good job. If you could step into a bit more of the favour of God, as the children of God. Wow. Wow. Boundless favour. And it's in kindness towards us. (laughs) Kindness. You could have put any word in there, but kindness covers a huge multitude, doesn't it? Kindness. You could have put mercy, because you could have focused on forgiveness, but you chose kindness. 
boundlessly kind towards us. Now, I'd rather trust the kindness of God than I would my own abilities. I see it all the time. I mean, I don't, I, forgive me if I tell you stories that you've heard before, but, you know, the kindness of God is amazing. The kindness of God. I'd rather trust the kindness of God. I remember uh, just a, a few months ago when um, my friend from Nepal came through, Shisma, and she was trying to raise money for, from different churches. She said, will I raise £3,000 from my church? I said, yes, I'll help you, Shusma. I will help you raise that £3,000 from my church. Refresh church. And I did nothing. I organized the meeting when she came through, but I did nothing. But in organizing that meeting, a lady that came, only about seven or eight people came, it was pitiful, really. Uh, but one of those ladies uh, was so enamored by Susma and her story and what they're doing that she said, I want to give £3,000 to the church. So, you know, that, that's, just, that's just the kindness of God. It's my, my unfaithfulness. God is faithful. It's just amazing. The kindness of God. I remember when a few years ago when Billy Kennedy was launching the Pioneer International. But Pioneer's an incredible bunch of people, really beautiful bunch of people. We're not perfect, but I love some of the core values that we have around relationship and a non-religious gospel. And I think it's important that we exist. Anyway, so when Billy invited me onto the international team, I wanted to be part of that. But that involves traveling around the world, and that involves money and resources, and I don't have much. Well, you know, I have enough, but... My wife was telling me, you know, it's okay, I don't mind supporting you uh, doing part-time church work, but I'm not going to pay for you to travel around the world. And I, when our family is struggling, you know, at, on some levels, and, she, uh, and I said, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. And I thought, what do I do? And that week, somebody, uh, who I, I said, will you please pray for me? Somebody uh, started supporting me just monthly a little bit. That was enough to pay for one airplane ticket, so I said yes to Billy. I said yes. But then a few months later, Dwayne White came through. In this very room, he prophesied grace over me. And that night, he prophesied grace over me. Someone else, who I taught on Ignite a few years earlier, suddenly contacted me out of the blue and said they wanted to support me for a monthly amount. And that was enough, again, to do another trip. And so you see the kindness of God that just steps into your place of weakness. I could tell you, I could just bore you with story after story after story of God's kindness. It brings tears to my eyes. He treats us so much better, than, he treats me so much better than I deserve. And so he, I know he will treat you that same way. That's it, who he is. So it's all in kindness. So his boundless grace, though, he gives us three things. Because he says he made us alive together, it's a wonderful life. He raised us up together. He gives us the highest honour. And we're seated together in Christ. It's the place of the deepest rest. And I want, to, I want us all just to just journey with Jesus in the ascension, just for a moment this morning, that we might live from that place. It's a wonderful life. Because a bit like dear old George, we were dead. <laughs> we were dead, or as good as. You know, the things of the world, they're not all bad, they're not all wrong, but they're not life-giving. Not really. Ultimately, 
the best food, the best sex, the best career, they're not all life-giving. What's life-giving is relationships. What's life-giving is a, is a loving relationship. The most fundamental one, of course, is with God. You know, we sacrificed that in the beginning way back in Eden, didn't we? We chose not the tree of life. We chose the knowledge of good and evil. Knowledge of good and evil is not necessarily a bad thing, but it's just not life. We need life. What is what we need? We need a loving relationship with our maker. And so, you know, as we get older, our bodies tell us that the things of this world just lead to death. We start losing our appetite for the things that once motivated us, don't we? It's true, isn't it? Come on, let's be honest. It's true, isn't it? It's trying to tell us something. Our bodies are set up to try and tell us something. There's more to life than the things of the flesh, than the things that we might think are enjoyable. There's much more to that. He made us alive together in Christ. And so when we, when we come to Jesus, the tree of life, we're sparked. There's fresh energy. There's fresh hope. You know, our lives are packed, aren't they? Packed full of good things. So meaningful. I remember Jeff Wilson once saying, our lives are so shot through with purpose. We don't need any more purpose. It's true. We, we are masses of purpose as children of God. We're, we're as co-workers, as Ness was saying, to bring salvation to the whole of creation. That's amazing. Such meaning. Your life could never have more purpose than it has today. The choices you make today echo in eternity. Yeah, it's true. Come on. Uh, we're full of purpose. We have the most hope. I was talking to an uncle a few years back, and he was, I asked him, what is your hope? He admitted he had none. I said, come on. <laughs> Don't we have a tremendous hope? We've read the end of the story. We know it's all going to be well. We have a huge, huge hope. We know that love wins. We have peace. We know that nothing can harm us or those that we love. Not, not truly. They may suffer. They may have pain in this life. But actually we know that that is not the end. We know that nothing can really... Jesus said that, didn't he? Nothing can truly harm you. If we believe that, there's a tremendous peace that comes. Not dis-ease, but peace. That's what enabled the early church to overcome. And this joy that flows to us as we live in this life that Jesus has brought to us. If we choose to believe what he told us about God and about who we are. There's so much life. He raised us up together as well. But he made us alive together in Christ. Brought real fullness of life. The highest honour, of course... He raises us up. And it says, we raised us up together with Jesus. Now, in the chapter 1, it talks about Jesus being raised up higher than any other name, higher than every power, every principality, everything. He's seated at the right hand of God. So that's where he's raised us up to. That's the highest honour. To sit next to the king, to have the king's ear, that's the highest honor. But that's the place we have. You know, we must not allow ourselves to, to be defined by any other name. 
but Jesus. Let's not, no matter how tempting it might be, let's not allow ourselves to be defined by our gender or our sexuality or our career or our wealth or our family. Whatever else could define us, could say this is who we are, let's not let it define us. Let us be defined by the fact we are little Christs. We're following Jesus. You know, that's what, that's what Jesus meant when he said, you know, unless you hate your father and mother, you can't be my disciples. Because if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, you have to follow him. You're, he has to be the number one. Otherwise, the enemy will use whatever you put number one to draw you away. He's cunning. <laughs> Let's make Jesus number one. Let's be defined by that name, Christ. I am in Christ. Make that a proud proclamation, a proud declaration. Make that your number one. That's the highest honor you can have to be a daughter or a son of the king, to sit next to the king, to have the king's ear. Anyone can choose this place. And it's the place that Jesus prepared for us. Remember Jesus said, doesn't he, I'm going to prepare a place for you. This is the place he was preparing at the right hand of God. And you know, and that, it sounds, honestly, I wish I could, you know, I'm getting a lot of perplexed looks because Colin, this is not very practical. But it is. It's hugely, hugely practical. If you actually believe it, if you actually truly believe it, it's transformational. You are seated with Christ far above every other power. That, you know, of course it doesn't mean we get to have our own way because even God doesn't get his own way. God's will's continually being frustrated. We're all stiff-necked, always resisting the work of the Holy Spirit. They always were and we always are. So let's not pretend that it just makes it all easy, but it is a great place to be. There's no higher place to be. Jesus went through hell for you. Prepare that place for you. It's amazing. We're not lost. We know who we are. We know why we're here. And we have the king's ear because it doesn't stop with just raising us up and honoring us, giving us the highest, highest place. And there's no sense of earning this, is there? This is the gift of grace. It's by grace you've been saved and raised up. It's not by any effort. It's a favor thing. God's doing it for his kids just because he loves you. This is incredible. It's good news. <laughs> yeah, hooray, there was much rejoicing. <laughs> I'm not very good at, at, at saying it. That's the trouble. He also made us sit together with Christ. I love that picture. I think it's Rublev painted it. Of the Trinity sitting around the table with the empty space inviting us in to join them. That's what Jesus did when he ascended. He took humanity into the very communion, to the very heart of God. And when we include ourselves in Christ, we get included at the table, seated with him. 
in the place where the decisions are made. You know, that, 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 that song, I want to be in the room where it happens. I've got news for you. You're in. You're in the room where it happens. You're in the room where it happens. Where God's trying to run this universe with love and put everything right through Christ. You're in the room where it happens. You get to whisper in his ear, suggest things. And God's mad enough to take your suggestions seriously. <laughs> I love the fact that he, God lives in the atmosphere of our, of our prayers. If you don't believe me, just read Revelation chapter 5. He lives, breathes in continually your prayers. The enemy's always trying to convince us we make no difference. And I'm not talking about a place of idleness, okay? I'm not talking about a place just of rest, just of doing nothing. But this is a, a place of favor, a place of acceptance, a place of knowing who you are, a place of forgiveness, a place of welcome, a place of honor. It's a place where you know you're listened to. And most of all, it's a place where you get to speak to other people, sorry, speak to the king on behalf of other people who are in, in distress. And God hears and God listens and God moves on their behalf just because you've asked him for no other reason. Like the time I did pray for my friend Mick before he got to know Jesus. And he called me the next morning and said, I had a dream. It was too late to give my life to Jesus. The world was ending. And he gave his life to Christ. You know, but that was a small thing. But I, for me, that was a joy because God heard my prayer and spoke to my friend who I prayed for just the night before. Immediate answer. Sometimes I've prayed with people and seen, haven't seen answers to prayer that I know of for decades. But I can't give up. Because <laughs> I know that God is trying to work those prayers out still. <laughs> In love. Not trying to control people. I love, by the way, the way you, the parents have chased their kids around. It's such a picture of, of us. Such a picture of us with God. God is so gentle. He lets us explore places. He doesn't try and control. And when the older sister tries to control the little one, there's tears, there's tantrums. God doesn't, he's not into control. He's into allowing freedom because he doesn't care how long it takes. What he cares about is the destination. It's Christ. The destination's Christ. And we can trust him to get us there and we can trust him to get others there. We don't need to control people. I remember just again, just saying, just saying I, I think I may have told you this, but last, I'm going away on a golf um, evangelistic tour again in a couple of weeks, which is fantastic. <laughs> My new church are great, you know. Uh, but uh, last year I went and I got to, to pray for a guy whose knee was, he was going to make him go home. And I prayed for him and he played two rounds of golf following that prayer. He was in so much pain he couldn't stand. I prayed for him. Within two minutes he was healed and he played two rounds of golf. And everybody, especially the non-Christians, were talking about it for the rest of the weekend. I love that. That's grace. It's just grace because we sit next to the king. You sit next to the king. That grace is yours. I give it to you. But I don't give it to you. Jesus gives it to you. I want to remind you about it. It's a place of rest because God does the real work. We simply need to look at others and have our hearts stirred with compassion. Because nothing moves God like compassion. 
If, you want, if you're praying for people because you want to control their outcomes, I'm afraid God doesn't hear that. You can pray as hard as you like. But if you're trying to control people to get them to force them to make the right decisions, it won't work. God is compassionate. If you pray from a compassionate heart, God hears those prayers. Because that's the kind of God he is. He's moved by compassion. That's the reason Jesus did so much of what he did do. So please pray for me when I'm going off with the golfers. I'm also, I posted a little thing about Easter and Jesus being the hope of the world. And one of my non-Christian friend golfers uh, had the courage to post back on that and said, I'm afraid I'm going to have to disagree with you on that, Colin. So I said to him, oh, this is great. Now I'm into conversation. I said, maybe we can chat about that over a beer or over a round of golf. He said, yeah, okay. So now we're going to meet up and chat. Come on. (laughs) I love it. Because that would be an opportunity for him to be surprised at what I think and what the Bible says. I hope that God will speak to him because he's a great man. He has good reasons for not believing. I hope that I will be able to help him find Jesus. But any, any little progress would be good. Please pray for us. And it's a place, you know, where we don't get exhausted. We get energized. It's a place where you can be exhausted and still be energized. It's a place where you can be mocked and yet laugh. It's a place where you can mourn but dance. It's a place where you don't have enough. Or you're poor, sorry, but yet you have enough. It's a place where you're not owned by your stuff. It's a place where you're dying and yet full of life. That's the place of rest that Jesus invites us into. And I just want to finish with there. Um, this is the invitation, guys. This is the invitation. Anyone can enter into this place because it's all in Christ as a gift, a grace gift. There's nothing you can do to earn it. You, just because you're a bit better than someone else doesn't mean to say you qualify. None of us qualify, but we can all choose to be in. And the moment we choose to be in, we're in at the top table. There's no second grade Christians. None. This is amazing. This is the best news. I want you all to close your eyes now, please. Just close your eyes. I was going to have a throne up the front and invite you to come and sit on it. But I want you to imagine. Can, can you just imagine being invited up to sit next to the king? Being raised up to that highest place of honor. Seated at the right hand of God, in the bosom of the Father, the place of great influence. Can you imagine? The one who loves you higher than the heavens are above the earth, the one who accepts you completely, knows you fully, and yet adores you. The place where you receive so much grace, And yet there's a, an electricity in the air between you because he's desperate to pour out that grace. And he's wondering what you're going to ask him to do. <laughs> How might you show grace this week? How might you honor someone else this week? How might you bring rest to someone else this week? From the place where you are sitting with Jesus as a favored son or daughter of the king. Come on, keep on something in the
Father, my prayer is inadequate words, Lord Jesus. Paul did a great job. I did a poor job. But inadequate words. But there's something incredibly powerful about knowing who we are. About believing what Jesus said was true about us. That you do love us. That you have made us alive. That you have raised us up. That you have seated us far above every other power at your right hand. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you help us all to realize that. I pray for grace to flow to my friends here in River Church. That they might love people well. Help us to use our place of favor, Lord Jesus, to see your kingdom come. We can't control what happens as a result, but we can choose whether we try, whether we uh, love. Help us be the best lovers, Lord Jesus. Not relying on our own strength, but receiving your love and giving it away. Knowing your grace and giving it away. Being filled with your peace and giving it away. Receiving your tremendous hope and giving it away. place of honor, that place of rest, that place of life that we dwell. Help us to dwell in it better, Lord Jesus. Open our eyes. Amen. <laughs>